It's This Week in Sleaze with your hosts, the great lord Joshua Regal and Sleazy K. This podcast has been rated Category 3. No one under 18 may be permitted. Let's talk some fucking miserable fooling. That I, I reverse them. It's like miserable fooling rather than miserable fooling. Fooling. <laughs> and this time we settle into the title wide theater for that very thing, misery with Mutun <laughs> Fei at Shore Brothers and joyous, well, for us as viewers anyway, not characters, uh, fooling in the hands of director Ho Fan. The misadventures of fooling. There's plenty more movies of uh, featuring. Uh, those kind of story templates and not just the ones we've covered before but what it all means is that the movie we're going to discuss and review first is Mutum Fey's 1980 immigrant exploitation drama Lost Souls made at Shaw Brothers before his run of socially aware war crime atrocities um, in cinema form in the form of Men Behind the Sun and Black Sun so this is going back before those then it's light times, finally, as we find another movie on the theme of what goes wrong when you cheat. Misadventures in fooling, or of fooling, or fevering, or, or dunging, or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> Misadventures of dunging, that's awesome, an entire series of it. Before we've had Xing Fuyon, um, Do the Dirty Deed, uh, Li Chung Ling, Do the Dirty Deed, and now Ho Fan takes Dick Lau on one such Dirty Deed and uh, Misadventure in Wild at Heart from 1993. And my name is Lizzie K. with me, delivered with a little red ribbon on him as he arrives uh, to the show and into the title for wider theater is the great Lord Joshua Regal. Yay! It's me! And that red ribbon will make sense to anyone who watched Lost Souls. I, I assume you got it and feared being delivered Happy that way. birthday to you. Don't sing it too much. We're gonna get sued. That, that song. That song is <laughs> oh, expensive. Yeah, wait, that is like uh... that is pretty much the most expensive song anyway. <laughs> like, like if you combine it with with a review, it's kind of uh, great. So awesome birthday song. The birthday song. Like iconic. We should yeah. We should like throw in a couple of little review segments. You know, I, I don't know the birthday song. You know, it's a little cliche at this point. So, but iconic in its own right. Yeah, but now that we've reviewed it, it's uh you know, licensed or what have you. Well, it's fair use. If fair anything. use, so, that's what I'm yeah. looking for. So, so don't come down on the This Week in Slee show. Like, there's, there's no purpose in that. We're we're so uh, minimal in our impact. Like, uh, three listeners. I'll take it. Anyone who enjoys uh, sitting in uh, squishy seats as much as we do while listening to a show that takes place in a theater with squishy seats, you're, you are a type of guy or gal. Because we got at least one female listener, I know that. Wendy's heard the show. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's it. Like, this is Wendy Mild. The, the shenanigans we have here. Like, uh, Wendy is the queen of um, pushing the limits, I suppose. When she's looking for something wholesome, she sits down in the tidy whitey theater. Exactly. <laughs> Alright, let's uh, get to it. Let's get into it. We have, we have some um, sections here before we uh, start the show. But first of all, some quick contact information. This is This Week in Sleaze on the Podcast on Fire network. We are on podcastonfire.com. You can find this show and other shows on Hong Kong cinema, other type of wholesome Hong Kong cinema, as well as Japanese, Korean, and the ninja cinema, which is cinema. We also do bonus episodes every now and again. Hit us up. Via great old hip technical modern thing called email. 
podcastonfire at googlemail.com. You, you AOL and Netscape listeners, like, use email as well. It's going to be huge. <laughs> Netscape. Yeah, that's going back. <laughs> like, our show is compatible with Netscape, believe it or not. You've got your AOL uh, 30-day little uh, CD in the mail. Now you've set up Netscape for faster internet, and you're ready for Podcast on Fire. Podcast on Fire at googlemail.com if I didn't mention it. And hit us up on Facebook. We have a page and a discussion group. The relevant links are available on podcastonfire.com. Little illustrated links at the top of the page. And our Twitter handle is at Podcast on Fire. I write about, among other things, category-free movies that we discuss on this show. And I have reviewed these two movies, but I have a plethora of genres that I review at SoGoodReviews.com. And I also do small spoken video, spoken audio video reviews at SlizzyKVideo.com. And my Twitter handle is at SoGoodReviews. And we are available on iTunes, believe it or not. They allowed us on there. They don't screen a lot of stuff. Uh, no. Apple, like you, you could probably, in all seriousness, put up a horrible like Nazis or great podcast and get through oh, yeah. and get through Apple's uh, net, so to say, or filter. But uh, at least we got on there. We and if you use Def iTunes to subscribe to your podcasts, subscribe to ours, leave a star rating, just a click, and they even write a written comment about what you thought of this squishy show. <laughs> we'll take any words you have for us. We're that desperate for attention. A, B, C, D. You can write the alphabet. We don't care. They're, they're Nick Cage fans. <laughs> A, B, C, D, E, F, G, H, You put the file in the... <laughs> it's Vampire's Kiss, isn't it? The yeah. uh, fi- fi- filing thing there, yeah. Yeah, but have you seen that, like, uh, little compilation of him fucking losing his mind? And all uh, that? Yeah, I mean, there's probably uh, ten movies to choose from in that regard, so yeah. Oh, probably like 50 movies. I mean, every movie he makes, whether it's a normal project or not he usually has at least one or two scenes of him like either hollering or doing some stupid shit that nick cage does the only nick cage i attempt is um when he's fairly calm like i can't do the manic nick cage like i i, I can fairly I, I can i can at least say stuff from face off like if i would let you suck my tongue <laughs> would you be grateful like but i can't do you know when nick cage goes from Da, 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 da. Ah! Like he goes up really quickly. I, I can't really, I can't really replicate that. No. So uh, we'll leave that to the professionals. So, uh, but iTunes, Stitcher as well. If you don't like downloading podcasts to your device, maybe you have uh, a lot of Nick Cage pictures and Nick Cage compilations ripped from YouTube on your phone or on your device, then you can stream us via Stitcher Radio, either via their website or via the applications available on Google Play and Apple App Store. And finally, Shelf Life Clothing, not a sponsor of the show, but grand old helper of the show, helped co-compose the intro and outro, and it's a great t-shirt line headlined by Brian Kirby. Get the Caucasians t-shirt over there, get the Handover t-shirt, that's like a giant fat uh, James Bond kind of mashup, and a lot of cool stuff at ShelfLifeClothing.com. Joshua, you've had a sleazy summer over at the Trashy Trio, so it's passed now, but what was the sleazy summer about? You know, and by the time this comes out, it'll be far behind us. But uh, it's Christmas now, listeners. <laughs> get the, yeah, it, now that it's December. Now, uh, yeah, the sleazy summer was uh, a little thing put on by the Gentleman's Guide to Midnight Cinema. They picked a few podcasts, and basically not all the hours. Diff- not this one. <laughs> Rightly so. <laughs> Are those the guy who discuss who talk about cum all the time? Yes, they out.
<laughs> they're already going to do something sleazy. It was basically just a podcast. They chose uh, one or two movies, how many ever they wanted to cover. And then uh, they were all thrown, thrown in the hat and then at random picked for the different shows and stuff like that. We ended up getting two soft core thrillers. Oh my God, something wholesome. Yeah, it really it felt that way. It was definitely a little different than what... When someone getting raped on a bus, where's that scene? I don't think there was any rape in any of these, either one of those movies. I was very disappointed. It's like, it was a letdown for our American show, softcore, know? like... Yeah, like uh, Showtime type stuff. Uh, it was uh, Bedroom Eyes and uh, Animal Instincts. And uh, Animal Instincts featured, it had a, a very, very small cameo from John Saxon, so that was cool, and uh, had David Carradine, and I got to make a joke about David Carradine, uh, you know, autoerotic asphyxiation. Kind of <laughs> My God. Yeah. So, well, it's, know, been, it's been a few years, so whatever. Right, yeah, I mean, you can't get hung up on that sort of thing. <laughs> Thank you! Like, even in context, I'm not sure it's going to play very well. But that's what you do over there, and that's fine. That's fine. I'm not really offended. It's just like, that's your thing. That's not my thing. I stick to, like, uh, come is safe. Like, and that's safe territory. Send the hate mail to the Trashy Trio. <laughs> and uh, Wendy and I will continue to make inappropriate jokes about your heroes. So, so it was like a secret sticky summer Santa kind of thing, essentially. Basically, yeah, that's... Pretty much exactly what it was. It was a good times. Uh, I have uh, another episode already recorded that I'm going to be editing shortly where we covered uh, Andreas Schnass's Zombie 90 Extreme Pestilence. Uh, okay, so, so so it wasn't porn necessarily because that no. just sounds like directed by Andreas <laughs> Schnass, which means it's penis. the director of the Violent <laughs> Shit Trilogy, oh, which gotcha. you aware of, yeah. So that's going to be fun and bizarre. So look out for that, and then hopefully Wendy and I will get our Shinjuku Triad Society episode recorded shortly. Right on, right on. Really, now you're taking the trashy trio in terms of the Shinjuku Triad Society, unless they are super sleazy, but you're taking them into, like, you're taking the show into respectable territory. Like, we might get yeah. some new listeners that uh, of uh, refined Japanese cinema. Yeah. <laughs> no, well, it is Miki after all, so. Yeah, there's human shit in it and stuff, and plenty of rape, so I don't, I don't know. It's not getting too refined over there. Right on. What's your URL and uh, where are you available on the web, uh, on the social media thingy? Yeah, well, I mean, we have a Twitter, you know, at Trashy Trio. But honestly, I mean, it's just show announcements most of the time because I'm really not much of a Twitter person. But uh, Facebook, you can find our Facebook group. Just do a search of the Trashy Trio. Trashy Trio. It's a closed group, uh, but, you know, a lot of fun in there. You know, a lot of people talking about crazy movies and whatnot. Porn. Porn, yeah. <laughs> it really is. I'm not judging. Of... That's what I see when I open up my, the Facebook feed. Like, there's something sleazy or very nude. Yeah, it's from the Trashy Trio group. I might have known. <laughs> Wendy and I don't even talk about porn on the show, but somehow that's our group. And, hey, you uh, bring out the best out of people. We appreciate it, you know. You have, like, a safe environment there for people. Like, right. To talk about uh, whatevs, you know. Yeah, if you want to talk about porn, then come to our group. It's all good. Right on. We'll link to all the relevant stuff in the show post. In the meantime, listen to some uh, little musical interlude from Lost Souls, from Men Behind the Sun's Mutun Fei. And uh, we'll be back to review that movie, so sit tight. 
And welcome back. And uh, before before we start uh, discussing Lost Souls, uh, I just gonna want to give you a short rundown because we have a few sections uh, that we're gonna talk of before we get to the review. And we are going to provide running times for each of those sections, so you can jump ahead to any of those if you want uh, to. If you want to listen to the review first and biography second, uh, you have the option to do so. Those running times also turn up on the iTunes or rather iPhone podcast app if you download the show um, not if you stream it and if you download it just tap the show art and you can see the running times that way so i know it works that way on the iphone neato i've never uh i don't own an iphone so i don't get you know i'm not privy to all this cool shit i thought you said neo have you heard of them <laughs> have you heard of the <laughs> matrix it's like that episode of the Clerks animated series where he yeah. keeps on calling like Neo. We don't have to talk about the Matrix. We can't talk about <laughs> past relationships, uh, chicks, uh, the Matrix. <laughs> Give me a break, I'm working. I love Clerks, the animated show. <laughs> that was fun. Anyway, first we'll speak up Mouton Fane, his uh, career, a little bio that we prepared. We It's a repeat of the bio that we did on Men Behind the Sun, the episode on Men Behind the Sun, but it's quite a while ago. So I thought a little refresher is in order, and that is followed by a review on Lost Souls. There'll be a break after that, and after that we'll just r- jump right into the misadventures uh, of fooling or infooling in the form of the review of Wild at Heart. Speaking of Nick Cage. Yeah, right? been a while since i've seen that movie i don't know how mad mad wild at heart nick cage is i mean you're in a david lynch movie like where can you go how can you be noticed but but i'm sure nick cage does his very best to yeah, be noticed elvis impersonation the entire movie i remember the first scene where he smashes this guy's head in and also that they him and laura dern love this uh not even punk band it was the almost this extreme metal band they were yeah. in love with which was kind of kind of cool. I don't remember the particulars of it. Like, like uh, that is due for a rewatch, but uh, it's always going to be out there. Listen, man. <laughs> like he's born to play Elvis, essentially. His character was named Sailor, I think, and the girl was Lula. I forget. Anyway, continue. Sounds familiar. Anyway, plot from my review of the film of Lost Souls from 19... I've written 1981. I said 1980 before, so uh, let's double-check that. It is 1980. So here we go. VoiceOver tells us that a new immigrant policy made a lot of people having immigrated to Hong Kong before uh, they went to register as cardholders. So, and they could. So that's a lucky minority. Might have been pulled from reality that. The unlucky majority is what we follow here. As a group of mainland immigrants attempt to sneak into Hong Kong, they evade the police but are captured by human traffickers led by Shaw Brothers veteran Chan Chen, who, uh, and those captures, uh, they rape and torture the women and men before the women in particular are sold off as prostitutes in Hong Kong. An uprising and hope for riches uh, once they finally get out of the clutches of the captors is the only glimmer of hope available to this uh, group. But yeah, Mutun Fei, uh, quite a known filmmaker because of the notorious duo of movies. Uh, he didn't make a lot, uh, a lot of movies, but The Men Behind the Sun and Black Sun, The Nan King Massacre is enough to secure his reputation, and I think uh, it's a very respectable reputation reputation in my opinion both me and joshua both fans in a serious manner of men behind the sun and in particular black sun absolutely 
But anyway, he was born in 1941 in Shandong, China, and his family left China for Taiwan in 1949, and it's there he graduated from a state-run film school, but a, a rather like low-rent or poor film school that couldn't even afford equipment for its students. So uh, Mutun Fei started theory mostly by going to the cinema and studying the same films all over, uh, over and over again. And in a 1999 interview published on the website, uh, hopefully it's still up, it was when we recorded Men Behind the Sun, the website is horshamp.qc.com. CA, so it's uh, probably connected to uh, Quebec and Canada, therefore. But uh, Mouton Fay recalls his film studies, so quote, Yes, it wasn't much in the way of fun. We can only learn by watching films at the cinema and discuss them. We would buy one ticket, take our lunchboxes and watch the same film about eight times in a day. Then in the evening, we would buy the projectionist a pack of cigarettes and ask him if he if we could borrow a copy of the film. Remember kids, this is like way before VHS and when you could rent films. He would probably lend us one reel and we would hold the film to the light and study it frame by frame. This is how we learn to edit and time film. But remember, we had no editing equipment. By the end, I could tell professors of film how many edits uh, uh, Okatsu movie would have by sheer memory. Most editors then would count cuts by using uh, matches, uh, but I would watch a film more than 30 times if I felt it was necessary. So he got it into his mind, essentially, and got it done. And uh, that was the end quote. It said he was an assistant director on an anti-communist propaganda film called Give Back My Country in uh, Taiwan. And he also directed in Taiwan, but no database lists any of these movies. So we're dealing with lost films that have never really been identified. However, a J, a filmmaker J.L. Karotsa's documentary Black Sunshine, Black Sunshine Conversations with T.F. Mao, which uh, is a YouTube documentary which, and an excellent chat with the director in English, uh, which we'll link to and hopefully it's still up. He talks of his early... Taiwan work, uh, which, as I said, seems to be lost, and uh, he talks specifically of two black and white movies that he made, and the government and the censors did not like due to their social commentary. Although Mu didn't think he put anything that noteworthy critique-wise in those movies. There are English titles out there for them, so hopefully they are official and correct. I Didn't Dare Tell You is one, and the other one is At The Runway's End. Mu also served as uh, assistant director for veteran Taiwanese filmmaker Pai Ying Jui, one of the three directors on the epic historical war movie Firebulls, which is the only way, uh, only credit I recognize Pi from. And the move subsequently traveled extensively all around the world and even tried to get a movie made in Bolivia based on the sights and sound he got inspired by there. But he didn't and returned to Hong Kong and had enough traction and skill as a filmmaker and rep, I suppose, to join Shaw Brothers, where he started uh, to uh, direct a variety of genres, uh, among other things. He directed a segment Gun out of the true crime series uh, The Criminals. They made several feature movies where they had like three stories in one. Um, and this was the fifth one that was called The Criminals 5, A Teenager's Nightmare. And it's quite a gritty, violent and effective 30-minute short. Uh, so I recommend it if you uh, find a whole movie. He also did uh, the crime film Bank Buster, which is one of those either lost or simply not released uh, by Celestial on VCD and DVD. They might have remastered it and it's still sitting there. Which is a shame because uh, Mutum Face says he was very pleased with how that movie turned out. And his first sight of social commentary that is uh, not lost uh, is our very own, so to say, Lost Souls, uh, the harsh immigrant human trafficking and torture drama from 1980. 
And his last and seventh movie he worked on at Shaw Brothers was A Son Too Many, which I believe is a comedy. But Moose says in the documentary that I mentioned that he felt too comfortable at Shaw Brothers after a while and the studio was more about marketing than making different and challenging movies. Although he was quite lucky because Lost Souls was apparently greenlit without a script and Crater Rip was once done because I don't think Shaw Brothers and uh, the Run Brothers realized it was going to be that intense. And I probably sense has something to say about that movie too because I, I mean, Shaw Brothers never went that far. They did a variety of genres, exploitation movies, horror and erotica, obviously kung fu, but Lost Souls is just something that's... Um, they had faith in Mutum Fei and uh, he went out and made his movie and uh, yeah. it, it seems complete in the form it's in now. I don't know if it was censored at the time, but uh, th- there we are. Two words. Man rape. It's uh, not a common sight in any movie or definitely not uh, Shaw Brothers. So. Right. It was all followed by a mainland children's, uh, mainland China children's movie that Mutum Fei made called Young Heroes. And it said during the making of that he began hearing stories of Unit 731 where the Japanese conducted human experiments which would end up in Men Behind the Sun. He started actually researching those crimes or Unit 731 uh, the year before, but maybe not with a movie in mind. It just uh, it seemed like a guy who wanted that knowledge, regardless if he uh, put it to creative use. And, but th- those stories affected him to the point where he wanted to make a film about it, and uh, the natural instinct would be to make a documentary, something that struck Mouton Fay as well, but lack of factual evidence at the time uh, available to him made him go into feature drama instead, and um, based on what he had heard and read. And uh, I have a little quote about um, making of a research process about uh, Men Behind the Sun here for you as well. So, quote, My first impressions uh, were to make the film as a serious documentary, but later I found it was impossible as the Japanese army had destroyed most of the damning evidence. Therefore, it was impossible to make a documentary as there was no material to use. Uh, the Japanese, uh, apparently, uh, I think you looked this up, uh, the Japanese scientists uh, filmed the human experiments going on at Unit 731. And the footage was shipped back to Japan for medical study. But it's uh, doubtful that this footage is, is in existence just because it was shipped uh, somewhere else. But uh, mm-hmm. there it is. M- Mutunfa actually did obtain Russian documents and some uh, some archival material from Japan and America that filled in some gaps in terms of research uh, and uh, trying to inject the reality into men behind the sun rather than just speculation. And as he said, there also no one wanted to give me money to produce the film as they found the subject matter to be a bit of a political hot potato. But he did find some mainland China producing partners in the end and it was uh, was uh, made and uh, he shot it over six months in Manchuria, including scenes at the real Unit 731, which was at the time a high school. Imagine going to school in that building knowing what Jeez. it is. like. And it's a mainland uh, China and Hong Kong co-production, but most of the actors in Men Behind the Sun are mainland China or Taiwanese. There's like no recognizable Hong Kong talent on board. And uh, Mouton Face speaks of his mainland producer as well um, and the good relationship uh, he had with him. Quote, I think he produced the film due to personal reasons. He had grown up in northern China and Japanese experiments were well known in that part of the country. And furthermore, Mouton Face on the cast, uh, the majority of the cast were non-actors who spoke uh, Japanese on set with a few amateurs and select stage actors who took the lead roles. And uh, after Men Behind the Sun, uh, he had more war, atrocity on, war atrocities on his mind, but uh, did in between direct, co-direct rather, the hardcore pornography film Trilogy of Lust with the legendary... <laughs>
legendary Julie Lee in 1995, which was uh, released also as a severely edited category free rated softcore movie. But uh, we've reviewed both on this show together with uh, Wendy and Jay. So uh, that was a good, good, good fun. More context and uh, info and fun than most podcasts provide on hardcore pornography and Julie Lee. But uh, she deserves a little spotlight. And the final movie at this point of his. He hasn't made another movie as far as I know. It's the 1995 war drama Black Sun, the Nanking Massacre, which is as expected based on the 1937 Nanjing or Nanking Massacre or Rape of Nanking. Essentially, this was an act of mass murder and rape committed by Japanese troops against the city of Nanking in 1937, starting in December, when the forces captured the city. And uh, Mu Tunfei depicted that quite graphically and quite skillfully as well. Mu actually says he wanted to close out this war crime trilogy dubbed the Black Sun Trilogy with a project called No More War, but at this time this project has not gone into production due to lack of financing. And I, I believe Mutenfei is still alive, so I mean uh, the chances are still there. But uh, he talked of the plot outline of No More War, and quote, uh, It's a very simple story of children who are caught up in the Japanese retreat from Manchuria in 1945. Essentially the end of Men Behind the Sun, uh, you could say, because uh, that depicts the uh, retreat from Unit 731. Civilians seek revenge uh, on the Japanese soldiers and start to kill them and each other. Once most of the adults are dead, the children begin to kill too. A very sad story, end quote. Pushing buttons, but uh, as we know, he's... Uh, Pretty intelligent, uh, based on the working men behind the sun and black sun, but that leads us to Lost Souls, if there's any intelligence there or not, so therefore I want to hear your brief opinion on Lost Souls, first of all. If you want to know that there's intelligence, absolutely. I mean, there's no question about it. It's kind of funny to hear that about uh, the movie basically being greenlit without a script and what have you, because the movie, even though it uh, does occasionally delve into melodrama, it does... uh, kind of point a lot of fingers and stuff like that about uh, the treatment of immigrants and things like that within Hong Kong. And uh, really, you know, it's still pushing buttons because, you know, like here in the U.S., we have like the whole U.S.-Mexico border thing, which, you know, I don't really usually go into politics or even feel that's tied to politics, but it is a huge issue. And you can kind of see reflections of that here in this movie you know, you can kind of draw parallels very easily. Even though the movie delves into some pretty, you know, grotesque imagery at times and stuff like that, as is Mouton Fe's style, I guess, uh, it's still very much a movie that uh, causes you to think while also be, you know, have your buttons pushed a little bit. And I guess that's kind of what he does, you know. Yeah, he's, uh, he's now known, uh, those people who know of him and uh, not dismissing him, no, not that it's wrong to dismiss him, but he's now known as a social commentator if you look at the um, output. Uh, and War Historian is clearly his uh, kind of forte. Even Trilogy of Lust, I mean, like all of his films kind of have something to say about something, either whether it be female sexuality or war crime history. You know, he, he's always kind of talking. Yeah, I think uh, some of his train of thought are definitely in Trilogy of Lust, as uh, weird and wacky as that movie is. You're very right. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, it's the, it's the place to begin if you are curious about how this filmmaking identity of his uh, started, even though he made comedies after. But uh, this is where it started. It's not as honed as the latter commentary, but that doesn't mean it's we're dealing with feeble thoughts here. Right. And uh, it, it is more, I'd say the anger is more out of control in this one. And the latter movies kind of focused the anger into 
not more coherency, but I think um, he could convey it a little bit more. But uh, that's kind of how you as a human, I suppose, can go from like anger and pushing and pushing and then kind of start to formulate the opinions a little bit more calmly, but not hold back at the same time. It's engrossing, distressing anger in, in, in this one. And uh, so, some of the commentary is on the nose, but uh, it's uh, very much uh, appealing. Uh, if that is a word you can use. There's a documentary approach present in the beginning here, why they might have been shot on the streets rather than a lot of extras on the Shaw Brothers' big land. It was not just a studio, as you well know, Joshua. They had a big piece of land that they made movies at, so they could do outdoor shoots as well. The voiceover talks about the, the hopes for the immigrants that are there. there. There is a beating heart here for the little man and woman. I think those who know of Hong Kong will know immediately in the beginning where these immigrants uh, that we see in the fictional part of the movie, let's say, they talk about when we get to Diamond Hill, like the riches are going to be there, riches are going to be there. And you can kind of sense, even if you don't know what Diamond Hill is, that probably not as literal as that, but that's what they're clinging on to. And uh, so you, you can't really call them dumb or naive because they've clearly left something extremely horrible and even the whiff of uh, hope, I suppose, uh, drives them. Uh, uh, I, I don't know how di- what Diamond Hill looks like today. Like, write in, listeners, if Diamond Hill is this huge area of apartments, or if it's still, like, out in the territories, or and possibly, like, run down. Uh, it's a very... Like, you're familiar with Shaw Brothers movies. Like, without the whole, like, Shaw Scope logo at the top, would you ever guess this was a Shaw Brothers movie? No. In the 80s, it seems like... Uh... A lot of the Shaw Brothers films, even the martial arts movies and stuff like that, they kind of uh, started going into a different light and kind of like getting away from their sets and what have you that kind of gave off that Shaw Brothers vibe or what have you. Mm -hmm. But yeah, this one's so far drastically different than uh, pretty much anything. The only thing that's really resembles it is the fact that it has uh, a very large scope to it and it's beautifully shot that's about it yeah and the only it's a bunch of no-name actors here i I think there is consciously cast i mean the only one you recognize and you might recognize his face only but the uh, the uh, limping um, head of the uh, slave rings slave rings yeah uh, chan chan who's uh he's been in uh, i mean every basically Almost as many movies as actors like Ku Feng and Law Lee. Yeah. Only Chen Chen normally wasn't close to lead or supporting it, but he was there, a very reliable character actor. He's in Intimate Confessions of a Chinese Courtesan. He's even in the remake, Lust for Love of a Chinese Courtesan, but tons of movies in between. Great, great face, often obviously played uh, bad guys. And uh, brings um, not star power in terms of like, oh my god. God, we're out of the movie here. Like it's uh, he he's he was always game, and he'd work with Mutun Fei on the he direct, he co-directed Haunted Tales with Cho Yun, which is two horror stories of one, and Chan Chan starred in the second one, which I think is about him. Uh, he begs to he, he gets his wish granted and he gets money and then it's kind of this twilight zone thing where like this is going to come back to haunt him like it's so his riches and luck is so great that it's kind of it's going to come back to haunt him and it does in quite a brutal and gory and fun fashion but uh, he clearly worked well with Mutant Fate showed and he's one of those actors that clearly said Yes to everything, including the heinous stuff in in this one, and and, and I like game actors like that because you you never yeah. see you you never sense that he's timid about what he's doing. Like if this is the character, the limping character called Hawk, that's eventually going to rape a man. Sure, that's work, <laughs> you know. <laughs> sure, I'll take it. Whatever. I think they are shooting on the land. 
the Shaw Brothers land, but it's it's smart in that way that it the set that it probably built is the whole prison hut and little camp that looks like a farm. My, my guess is that's the Shaw Brothers set. The rest is on the Shaw Brothers land, but the land wasn't this fake movie land. It was actual land, actual uh, greenery and stuff like that. I would say that you, you kind of have to talk about the exploitation angle for the film um and it's definitely a a button pusher i find that unfortunately like a big part of it and you know moots and he always kind of has these large like especially with like black sun and also uh men behind the sun there's these large you know ensemble type casts and sometimes you kind of lose who is who and you know Mm. what have you and especially like in this film after a certain point when you know our i guess our main protagonists get locked up at this uh farm or what have you and they're locked up in this barn basically they have more people brought in and eventually you have a cast of probably 15 different characters and faces start to blend in especially since they're all stripped completely nude for the first half of the movie you can kind of keep up with the original three protagonists who are i get we think are like who we're supposed to be tied to and uh, one character wears a blue shirt, one wears a white shirt, and one's a female. So it's kind of easy to, you know, okay, this is that person, this is that person. But soon, everyone's stripped completely nude inside this barn, and characters are tortured, characters are killed, and, you know, it's kind of hard to keep up with who is who. And I'm sure that's probably an intentional thing. Yeah, I never thought, it never looked like to me that it was he was trying to cast two leads and a supporting character it they, they were a part of the whole eventually eventually but you're right it seems like we're focusing on three characters we kind of do by the end uh, well there's like one or two left by the end let's yeah. say but but yeah I, I i never thought it was a problem and it doesn't sound like you thought it was a true problem because it didn't sl- move it didn't slide into incoherency just because of it no but you know you do kind of uh lose track of who is who for a while there especially with like the character who was raped for instance it's like i don't know exactly which character that was in relation to the plot and uh, the beginning and what have you and you know it's easy to get kind of caught up in that stuff but really you're just looking at a, um, a petri dish of humanity i suppose and uh seeing these things unfold and the movie does become a series of torturous events for a short period there yeah, there's a lot of it, and it could have gone uh, so wrong. It could have been just been a couple of reels of uh, random torture, but there seems right. to be a little... The focus is there. I mean, it all starts before, of there's course. There's purpose be- to it. it there, there is purpose to it, and uh, like all before they are in prison, so to say, in the main set, they encounter this uh, old man living out in in the new territories that knows there's illegal immigrants and there's a business to be made here. So he uh, locks them up and he wants to sell them. Like, it's this kind of... He's the first slaver, basically. Yeah. And and it's it's kind of... You get a slight sinking feeling in the stomach when you realize that they are being sold by this random old man in the backwoods. Uh, It's that sort of cynical, but not cynical for the sake of it. It's effective without overdoing it, like, stylistically, Ira. I mean, Mutenfei is not this director who needs to, like, or do... And, like, uh, do a... To have like this classic Shaw Brothers zoom or anything like that. It's kind of documentary in style. He shoots a lot of chaotic stuff and let it lets it run for um, you know ten fifteen seconds in a row. Uh, So like the various torture sequences, even like one of the earlier 
gleeful torture sequences where these um, the henchmen or assistants of uh, Chen Chen's character they're there to like round them off up and uh, maybe tie them down or ask them for telephone numbers because they want to blackmail their relatives but they're also gleefully torturing them at one point i think one is pouring candle wax down the ass crack of uh, one of these uh, young women which is one of the earliest earliest scenes of this kind of stuff and he doesn't ease us into it he's like boom welcome to lost souls yeah yeah before that you know you have the the character, the first slaver, and like he's basically doing the same thing um, of trying to get phone numbers because that's really what the movie eventually boils down to. We've got the reason the torture's happening is they want phone numbers, they want to know who their family is so that they can call and request money. Basically, the first slaver almost he seems you know nasty and gnarly, but you know after he's kind of pushed out of the picture and murdered. By the new slaver, you kind of almost wish you were back with the other guy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he, he he was more. Um, he just wanted to sell them on essentially right. to whoever because there, there are a lot of gangs there in the backwoods. It could have gone wrong on another level because uh, you know in these movies, when even when there is horrible rape sequences, they the rapists are almost always overplayed. Like they go on right. super giddy. They sort of do, but like the feeling of the movie still makes them reined in, you know? They're not this like super, like, (laughs) but they're, they're pretty much enjoy, they're enjoying it. And that's the point. But that's a case of Mouton Fay kind of reeling in the stuff despite pushing buttons and all of that. So these aren't your typical Hong Kong perverts for sure. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And uh, all of those scenes in the hut, the various torture scenes and the, the chaotic scenes, if you really look at it, and, I, and, and I've seen this movie a couple of times, so maybe I'm seeing more stuff now, but without it being choreographed as such, there's a lot of foreground and background action. Like even during a, a rape scene of uh, one of the wom- women in this uh, prison hut, you see all the men like being held back and screaming no 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 and that's like background action so he's like creating this deep horrible frame if you think about it so there, there's like thoughts and to cinematography and thoughts to style rather than just point and shoot some fucked up shit and hope it turns into a movie like he, he had experience before this even though not this kind of movie in what well, this kind of movie wasn't in his wheelhouse but it just seemed like it, this this glove fit i never really heard anyone like really talk about mutum fane this like the worst filmmaker ever how could he do this like it's uh, the movies are strong but if you really look at reviews out there they're they're not um they're not slammed these movies no. they're often sort of praised despite being super hard to watch yeah like you know even most people that sit there and will condemn the content of the movie. They don't usually condemn the quality of the movie. Even Men Behind the Sun, like uh, the stuff that people think, uh, like the animal cruelty is obviously up for criticism. The faked animal cruelty, people get fooled by, obviously. The autopsy of the of the boy who actually died in real life that they were allowed to uh, perform an auto- autopsy on. But still, in, they, they kind of just come back to the fact that it's it's still pretty thoughtful. It's, it's kind of amazing how a filmmaker is confident to that degree like i'm I'm gonna communicate something really hard and really harshly to you but yeah i'm not like deodato or something like that people hate deodato for what he did with cannibal holocaust but uh i think mutant fake kind of is respectful uh respected and uh, even respectful towards the subject here 
I think even you'll find that's a lot with Diodato, with Cannibal Holocaust and stuff like that. People will ultimately come around to the fact that, you know, if it didn't have, you know, XXX that offended me, then, you know, I would certainly like the movie a lot more because it's shot very well and it, you know, has a lot of interesting elements to it. You know, when you play with this kind of, you know, content, it's gonna push buttons and there's gonna be people who can't get down with it but there are always people weirdos like us who uh <laughs> will you know kind of get down with it yeah i mean in the case of cannibal holocaust i i do love that movie i know where it goes wrong i know where it goes horribly wrong but it still has great strings like essentially the whole thematic point of it it almost gets negated because of the animal cruelty but it manages to make its point despite in the end in an overall sense so so i always I, like i don't turn away from it i never fast forward through it but i know where it goes wrong but i i still i'm of the opinion that it's uh, it might as well be there like flaws and right. all so um and they, they, we got strong performances here by the no-name cast they're, they're, they're quite the young cast mostly they're quite they're showing quite convincing fear I don't think that's easy. And there's post scene after a rape scene of one of the women. She shows this, you know, her spirit is not broken. It seems like she's strengthened after the rape. And like, she, she's not like sitting there crying or anything. She's more like, ah, gotta, I gotta get them back. I gotta get them back. Like, uh, it, that, that's strong characterization if you look at it. Like, not, they're victimized, but they're not shown as empty shells afterwards, which uh, makes them. They they try to mount a mental and physical defense, um, so that that's uh, good. And uh, yeah, what else is there? Oh, people are beaten, people are pushed against ropes. We get nudity in our face and pubic hair in our face, and uh, even a dangerous fire stunt in one of the most memorable scenes yeah. in the movie, where this uh, lady who uh, kills herself by like standing in amidst the barbed wire, but she launches and, and then, then sets fire to herself, I think that was the thing. But but she uh, when she does, she launches herself onto one of her captors, who in turn gets set on fire, which is the stuntman. And also there's another stuntman, I presume, uh, not a puppet that is clinging to it. It's a fire stunt done in this presumably quite tight area so they're, they're talking technical quality of um in a very horrible fictionalized scenario there Shaw brothers had obviously technical talent to uh, make sure those scenes were not irresponsibly done absolutely There's a lot of strange memorable moments in the film to me the things that kind of stood out like even though they don't you know, overall have a lot to do with uh, the film and its message or what have you i guess but one that sticks out is uh, early in the film, whenever basically Border Patrol or whatever you want to call it finds this group of probably three dozen uh, immigrants, you know, traveling across kind of like marshy swampland. You know, they turn a light zone, come out. There's a scene where this woman is carrying her baby and she's running, you know, trying to get away from the uh, the law or what have you. And she turns around to one of the soldiers and hands the soldier her baby and then takes off running. Yeah, it's a it's a quick little moment, yeah. Right, yeah. It's like, oh, dang, you know. So she just gave up her kid, and the you know soldier just looks on like puzzled, kind of, as she takes off running while he's still holding the child. That and like the sequence where one of the girls inside of the uh, farmhouse or what have you, the uh, she uh, is stripped nude and what have you, and she basically intimidates all these rapists and what have you by you know uh, 
you know, asking them the size of their penis and like, oh, you're so small, your penis is so small, like you have nothing, you know, you can't can't do anything to me. Like it, it's either madness or a good defense against them, you know. Yeah, and it works because you know the side of a woman who's trying to have sex with them kind of like uh, pushes them back. And uh, even though that character really doesn't come back into the plot really at any moment, but it's just a good moment, like you like just something that makes you kind of think about the characters and what have you. Yeah, and even details like um, degrading details, like uh, they make uh, essentially makeshift clothes, I suppose, out of newspaper because they they don't want to sit there nude all the time, and obviously maybe the actors weren't keen to do nudity all the all the time. I find such details um, they're not um, overbearing and uh, they're, they're like almost subtle. Um, like at least I don't know, maybe thirty or forty minutes is a lot of like angry out of control torture and what have you but i never thought it was overbearing despite being having like almost animal symbolism treating them like cattle and animals it almost feels like on the nose symbolism when you think about it but it somehow never becomes it and even though he pushes so damn hard with like i think the suggestion is in one scene that the captors are essentially like uh well mouth raping one woman you you see a point of view shot but you can't do obviously a point of view shot of the genitals but the point of view shot is of the hairy belly button unzipping exactly so he even does that but it never really feels like okay enough's enough you know what i mean for me it does it anyway no, I agree. It's what exploitation movies are for, even praised exploitation movies. They they kind of go for it, and maybe enough is enough. But uh, it's it's what they're made for for shock value. But Mutant Face, uh, one of those few filmmakers that has a little bit more thought to his uh, exploitation tactics. They're not standardized exploitation tactics. So I, I admire that, especially in this movie, despite it not being refined yet. That. It was so strong, and I think that speaks to his character as well. Uh, even though he made different movies at Shaw Brothers, like the same year he made a swordplay movie, and a couple of years earlier he made a comedy with Danny Lee and stuff like that. So um, it's like a filmmaker emerging. It's what we're seeing here in Lost Souls, and kind of what he was meant to to do. I think. Uh, I don't really have any other notes other than uh, you can talk of the birthday present scene, of course. Uh, but uh, I, I love little scenes you you don't see them in these movies often because a movie like this didn't come along often in Hong Kong cinema but when uh, Chan Chan has set up uh, an auction I suppose uh, he's gonna sell the ladies and uh, he brings in this incredibly fat man yeah. boy his stomach's big yeah <laughs> like it it looks like it's gonna burst anytime soon but i i love the little silent auction that they do via the hand gestures uh, it's really one of those things that they probably pulled from reality this is how kind of people do silent auction i suppose and and then they mark them up with uh with crayon or what have you that they cost five thousand hong kong dollars four thousand five hundred hong kong dollars like cattle i, I don't know I, I like those details those uh, silent auction details and um and the, it really didn't take a lot of effort i suppose to be in that scene and uh, being a game to do that scene but i suppose the most quoted scene is the birthday present scene for Chan Chan, like his uh, fellow um, the henchmen are kind to give him a present on his birthday. <laughs> what do they give him, Joshua, as a present? Do they give him a cake? <laughs> well, you know, they give him something he could bite into. It's definitely the scene to talk about. Just you know, you get the feeling from Hong Kong cinema that it's such a you know macho society, kind of at least by the film, especially like action cinema. And uh, this is uh, 
something that goes in the face of that. You know, you don't expect uh, to see your lead character being sodomized on screen, kind of. And yeah, it, it's ultimately like the the scene, the breakdown of it is that uh, one of the characters actually rats out the other. He finds out that one of the char- like one of our main protagonists is you know happens to have a phone number for a family member and he's the only one that memorized it. He lets that be known and so this other traitor character goes to the window and calls from one of the guards and says, Hey, this guy's got a phone number, you know, he just keeps it in his head, blah blah blah. So they they capture him. Well as they're capturing him, he's like, you know, what are you gonna do? Rape me, basically? And that's exactly what they do. They tie him up to a uh looks like a sawhorse, essentially. Ties the character up to that you know, legs and hands chained up, brings him nude and, you know, but he's been wrapped up and looks like blankets or something like that with like a bow tied around it. Happy birthday to you in Chinese. <laughs> da, 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 da. <laughs> it's so goofy. It's like that's the reality they live in where that is nothing. That is rather sensible to do, to give boss that. Right. And so it, we get a pretty graphic little uh, rape scene with, uh, you know, the boss man taking some nasty KY jelly in his hand and, you know, running it over. And, you know, there's some humping going on. It's Caressing it's... his buttocks and stuff like oh, that. Yeah, like, like, again, Chen Chen, always the consummate professional and game actor. It's a pretty brutal rape scene. And uh, this leads to basically the kind of the rebellion that happens towards the end of the movie, which I don't think we're spoiling much by saying that. Yeah, you gotta have comeuppance for this kind of evil, I think, in yeah. some shape or form, even though it, this movie never really ends on a sunshine and happy note, but uh, right. when that character goes animalistic on Chan Chien post the rape sequence, that is such a strong moment, you know, when he dig- digs into his neck like uh, like an animal, like he's lost at that point, uh, that's great stuff lost souls and so yeah and after that i think some of the we get some of the best tension in the movie as we see these characters as they try to make their escape and what have you and i really think that the the uh, stop in the road sequence is probably one of the best in the movie yeah it's it's goofy in a way how they fuck up it pisses you off, doesn't it? Yeah, <laughs> it <laughs> Good, really because does. they get through the police control, uh, managing to disguise themselves, and uh, they have fake ID cards and stuff like that, or ID cards where they keep their thumb over the actual picture, and the police control says, uh, well, off you go. Thank you, comrade. And that's like a telltale sign of, no one says comrade, I'm illegal immigrant, and then, then they're <laughs> fucked. Like, then they have to um, try to evade the police. And then they jump in the van and speed off, like making themselves look even more guilty. You know, it's... I love the little song that they sing. Like, we're going to oh, be yeah. rich, 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 rich. There's <laughs> riches everywhere. There's like three words in that song, essentially. And, and they just keep singing it. It's like, oh, we're coming up to a uh, stop in the road. W- what do we do? Keep, keep singing. singing. <laughs> like you, you would think like, why are these people so obsessed with riches? Like that's not Hong Kong in style. Well, maybe it is. Who, who knows how? Like we're, we're probably missing some nuances in the commentary here. Obviously, you and I have no real idea of how grave the, uh, rather how great the volume of immigrants was at the time. It, it might have been at its peak at this time, you know, be, be, because of the way they set up the movie that they started to approve present immigrants uh the equivalent of a green card or an id card so uh may- maybe uh it's uh it, because you can't just send them off 
willy-nilly and uh, solve the problem like that. So uh, I, I can imagine in real life a decision was made to try and smoothen out the volume by granting uh, granting that kind of thing. Uh, but, but yeah, I don't have any other notes as such. I mean, it's, um, it is very solid, a little bit a director in training, but the voice is strong very early on here. Again, he'd made movies, but this was his first big exploitation movie, and again, he only made three or three and a half, really. The trilogy of Lust, I guess, kind of fits in there, but he was not the sole director on that. I always had the theory that Mouton Fay was brought in to provide narrative assistance to Julie Lee, who was... This was her first movie. And I think Julie Lee was pretty much obsessed by pornography. And needed someone there to like kind of okay, here's how we kind of make it a flowing story as well, and not just a lot of fucking and not just a lot of egg sex and crap like that. So, can't we do 90 minutes of that? Well, no, whatever flow to both, but uh, hey, it's cinema, this so can't just have squid. <laughs> yeah, well, for heaven's sake, I, I don't have any other notes. Do you want to say anything else about Lost Souls? You know, I could comment on the very last scene of the movie and how it's overdone it's a little bit overdone yeah i agree a little bit too much melodrama there but it doesn't come close to like ruining anything so it's almost not even worth mentioning overall it's a really strong film and i would highly recommend it Mm -hmm. and as for availability being a Shaw brothers movie it was remastered and released on vcd it was released on dvd in hong kong it was one of those like it got vcd first and you thought like god damn it it needs a dvd too like this is one of those that people need to see on a better format it did in hong kong and also it got a dvd it got a dvd released in the u.s by image i believe that featured um, the movie in both its original cantonese language and also english dubbed which i'm not sure is the original english dub or not because uh, it's not easy to recognize voices as such and style as such when it's not a martial arts movie but um, I've never really seen it uh, fully dubbed. But uh, it's on DVD and both editions are available still. Uh, the Hong Kong DVD and the US DVD by image. It's, the US DVD is not this sought after rare disc. So you can get it at a reasonable price. So I recommend uh, doing that if you're in the US. So there we are. Possibly on iTunes. Who knows if Image put a Shaw Brothers movie or two on iTunes. Because they had a fair amount of Shaw Brothers movies. Uh, and even Hong Kong and Taiwanese movies on DVD. So that's that. Let's take a break. And uh, now the misery is over. Now now we're going to talk fooling. In uh, in uh, in uh, not David Lynch's Wild at Heart. But uh, Ho Fan's Wild at Heart from 1993. Not a remake. but uh, Oh no, I watched David Lynch's. <sighs> maybe, maybe they'll be the same somehow yeah, after all. Much. Yeah, same thing. So the scene where he spits in a condom, that's that's from <laughs> Wild at Heart, right? Yeah, if you say so. It might, might yeah, be. I think he did that. Willem Dafoe had a similar scene like that, possibly. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, we are taking a short break then, talking um, further misadventures in fooling in Hong Kong cinema in the form of the little-known Wild at Heart from 1993. So sit tight and we'll be back. Welcome back, and this is the fun part of the show. Not that the other part of the show was uh, 
lacking in context and uh, skill uh, skill at amateur critiquing. It certainly did have that. But now we relax a little bit more and watch something fun. Wild at Heart from 1993 and plot from my review of the film. Essentially, we follow Kim, played by Dick Lau, a creative supervisor at an advertising agency, as he juggles women and tends less to the one he's married to. The aggressive female boss Jacqueline and any random woman he fancies are the goals. And the plan is always hatched uh, within all of these uh, different scenarios in order to woo uh, new women and uh, present women. And often helping out is his colleague Peter. That's the lads uh, we have at our disposal here in the movie. Waka waka. Waka waka. And my short opinion, I've seen it before, uh, but I'll say it anyway. Uh, I Love Miss Fox and Secret Lover may be more successful comedies in the same vein, again, with this type of plot. Uh, but while the thought scores points and it comes down to Ho Fan's visual and comedy skill still being present in his final decade as director. He was very funny in the 70s when he made his erotic comedies and very visually skilled when he made his uh, like very fantasy-style erotic, uh, erotic movies without comedy. So to keep that touch intact throughout your decades as director is admirable. So that's why I like whole fun. And for listeners' sake, for reference sake, we've uh, reviewed at least one of his movies and that was Temptation Summary 2 which was one of the movies that was about making category free movies. Uh, the one that opens with a character breaking his pelvis doing a softcore porn shoot and uh, featuring Lee Chung Ling in a very uh, romantic uh, role and featuring the director, the fictional character of a director called fucking you. <laughs> <laughs> Classic. That movie, which is a funny-ass movie, actually, has the wonderful subtitle because fucking you was this arty director who um, wanted to provide technical skill and art to the category-free genre. So he says at a press conference at the beginning of the movie, to me, films of category-free are rubbish. <laughs> there it is. Not about that. Jeez. Fucking you, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> so there it is. What do you think in short about Wild at Heart? I'm not, it's not a classic of this type of uh, film, but I mean, it's just if you like these uh, erotic kind of comedies or what have you, then there's really nothing wrong with this. You know, it's not exactly the greatest thing ever, but at the same time, you know, it's really hard to dislike. So I think it's just kind of a um, a fun little time waster. Yeah, I, I, confirm, I, I could agree. I mean, it's not this taking this plot template to the next degree or anything is not doing right. that but uh, at least it features a credit sequence i mean even these <laughs> movies had just boring like white on black red on black but at least like whole fun is projecting the cast and crew onto uh, female bodies even though it's a rather cheap uh, thing mm -hmm. of course but that was pretty cool at least there's a soundtrack as well like uh, it is the saxophone electronic driven uh softcore porn soundtrack of course but in a way and i'm not making excuses for the movie but i've seen enough whole fun movies where i know watching even these movies in the 90s that he's still thinking he's mm -hmm. still trying to do something with it rather than just point and shoot some boring sex which he never really did mm -hmm. and we open with uh some some rap music sounding stuff and some guy flexing and two chicks dancing it's among the greatest things ever shot, probably. 
and it sets up sets up that this is a demo for an upcoming ad of some sort. So that's the concept that this advertising agency. I don't know what the who product was. Right? Who does this? This is. But yeah, it's, it's more of a '90s kind of uh, breakbeat rap, if you will. Like it's not it's not like NWA Public Enemy type of beats here. It's more like rather like milder, even white rap. Kind of. Like yeah, like I was gonna say, Marky Mark and the Funky Bunch. Style. Yeah, it's exactly. kind of like you know, it's like Marky Mark, but like I couldn't understand half the lyrics. Like I couldn't understand what was being said, but uh, I could tell most of it. it tell it was in English. It sounded like for me, it showcases really early on also a very relaxed screenplay writing style because here the design is that uh, Dick Lau uh, Kim the character Kim talks to the audience he breaks the fourth right, wall immediately the... boom yeah like hi that's my friend Peter his measurements are well I guess you're not interested in his measurements so it, it's, <laughs> it's 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 very I like that relaxed stance like uh, and it's also not afraid to be this full-blown cartoon which I also like right. you remember the initial scene where Jacqueline pulls uh, Kim under the table whispers something to him and he comes up from underneath the table with cartoon hair yeah like, yeah bang, like, and I don't know I don't know what you think but that that made me in a good mood it seemed like the movie is gonna be okay because yeah, it, it, it seems to be, ha- have, be having genuine fun rather than forcing it into it by just like placing Charlie show in there to go or something like that which is not nothing wrong with that but sometimes they weren't very uh, they didn't have a lot of imagination when it came to the writing yeah, this is goofy-ass fun, and that's kind of what it sets up to be, and it's kind of what it delivers throughout the majority of the movie. I mean, if you come into it expecting a lot of plot, you're going to be disappointed because when you really think about it, the only plot is we got this guy cheats on his old lady for 80 minutes, and then you get 10 minutes of retribution. Yeah, I mean, it, it. it needs to be that. It needs to be that right. because he's not a sympathetic character at all. He's absolutely horrible. He's funny. He's funny to watch. And his desperation and his perception of being cunning, while not being very cunning, obviously. You know, males are transparent. That is rather funny. And you, you got, like, visual trickery, like... No, not trickery, but, like, cool visual touches, like, in the first um, of uh, several scenes at this disco or bar. Uh, Kim slides into his onto his prey and into his prey like he's on a little uh, dolly that you don't see yeah as he slides towards the ladies he wants to woo not in this like undercranked way but he just like hello and it's one of those things like i can't dislike this this is uh this is after he's absolutely horrible that i don't like but i can't dislike the tone here it's fun yeah it's 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 goofy as hell the, a lot of the sex scenes in the movie are, uh, it's kind of bizarre that they're not actually even happening, apparently. You know, the, that, that first disco scene or what have you, where he goes and he sees the two girls dry humping. And, uh, yeah, so we end up getting, probably my favorite of the dream sequences, though, comes later, where, uh, he, 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 tr- he dreams of his buddy, like, walking up to this girl with, like, a knife or something in his hand, like a stick, it looked like, and, uh, threatening her. It's their little scheme that, like, like you, you act as a bad guy and I'll save The stuff he's saying doesn't even make sense. Like, how dare you ogle other men? And the girl's just like, oh. And so he comes up and saves the day. And What's then the proce- problem here, miss? <laughs> proceeds to have sex with her in front of, like, an audience of other women. Yes. Who all cheer him on. You know, he's that up his he's that much up his asshole that he <laughs> he thinks of himself like this like he's got groupies in his mind because this is like there's no doubt that this is fantasy because he's essentially doing it on stage on tour. 
Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I love that they all go like, Kim, do it again. And for some reason, he says like multiple times, efforts, struggle, efforts, struggle. <laughs> That's my favorite. Yeah. <laughs> the struggle. Like his war cry as he fucks this woman. Like efforts, there's a struggle. But I provide effort. <laughs> some of the some of the uh, subtitles in this are pretty uh, pretty bizarre. Yeah, one of my one of my favorites. I posted it on the Hong Kong subtitles web um, uh, Facebook page. Uh, one was: If I run up a drunk woman, I can fever, I-, I can play with her. If I run up a drunk woman, I can play with her. The the constant return of like instead of calling someone nuts, just calling them nut. That it makes a return in this movie too. Are you nut or something? <laughs> it makes me happy too. Right? Yeah, me too. It's like you know who subtitled these movies and put that in there, and like you know the fact that they were using nuts, which is like a slang term in the first place, you know, instead of crazy or some actual, you know, it's a, it's what they interpreted based on the audio. They normally just had the audio, and it seems like. The perception of English was so similar between several subtitles because they all make the same error. Yeah, like, are you nut? Like, stink only and stuff like yeah. that. So, because they're working with, obviously, it's not their first language. And working with audio, too, has its problem because apparently distinction between gender is hard to determine via audio only. Like the stuff with uh, he or she and sometimes distinction between a bike and a car. It's so similar if you only hear audio. That's sometimes in these movies you get like, let's get into my car and he's on a bicycle or something like that. <laughs> but but early on with Kim, he's such a transparent motherfucker. Comes home to his perfectly caring, supportive and hot wife. And uh, he's, oh, I'm so tired of work. Jacqueline is wearing, wearing me out. I'm so crazy. Oh, let me make you some soup. And you can just imagine, without it being on screen, that he's in a cartoon fashion, running to the bathroom, like, <laughs> started, in this case, what we see he has done while she's making soup, is he started to shave himself, and he's put on a scarf. And the wife goes, why are you shaving? Why, why do you have a scarf on? Uh, um, uh, oh, work is driving me crazy, I'm going so crazy, oh my god, what am I doing? Like, he's acting so transparent and i love that because we are that transparent we can't some of us can't lie to save our lives yeah i'm terrible at it so being a, it's never encouraging this there's never going to be a great end result to any of this obviously so like, like if you think that these movies are encouraging like this like way before ashley madison <laughs> came in existence like if you think this movie is kind of on on the side of ashley madison it's not totally it's not and going to the, this is all over the place here because I'm kind of bringing up something towards the end of the movie. But like one of the, my favorite little cartoony sequences, you know, that really just lets you know this movie does not give a shit about reality, <laughs> is uh, the the sequence where he ends up, uh, you know, picking up that girl from the street. I believe like she's having a fight. He had seen her at the uh, disco the night before, or whatever. Ends up, you know, traveling with her to a parking garage. And, you know, he thinks he's about to have sex, and so he's stripped completely nude, of course, and uh, gets kicked out of the uh, his own Jeep, you know, that gets, she steals his Jeep. He gets kicked out, and so he is in this parking garage completely naked, and then one of the girls he's been fooling around with shows up in this parking garage for no apparent reason whatsoever, and she's looking for him for no apparent reason whatsoever. I think so it's he, probably, I think it's Jacqueline, the most aggressive one. So it makes that sense Jacqueline? that I think so anyway, because she's always the aggressive See, I one. I couldn't tell time. because it was either Jacqueline or the other girl, you know. And like one of them ended up waiting at a 
restaurant all night for him or something. And Jacqueline, I don't know, anyway. So he ducks behind a, a pillar as she's there. And he's like, oh, I'm completely naked. What do I do? One second later, he pops back out from behind the pillar. And he has somehow found paint. <laughs> You know, white paint, black paint, and I think some red in there, too. And he has painted a tuxedo <laughs> onto his body. Oh. Like a complete tuxedo. And he's like, oh, hey, baby. And then, and then for no reason whatsoever, the girl has a bottle of wine. And she walks up and, like, she's trying to, I think, pour it in his mouth. And pours it, like, all over his body. And his, his tuxedo starts to run. So he jumps back behind the pillar and then immediately jumps back out and is completely clean and completely <laughs> nude again. Because like, why not? <laughs> because, hey, yeah, we're living in a cartoon, apparently. <laughs> I love that. That, that is like, that, it is cartoony. Like, like, it's like Bugs Bunny, like, it is. appearing in a different, like, whatever, like, not a dress, but in a different, like, environment or in Absolutely, different types yeah. of clothes. So uh, he embraces that. Whole fan embraces that because you don't stop the movie. Like, okay, what the serious fuck? <laughs> at this point you've been through so much in the movie you're like oh of course of course that's what happens but uh yeah it's off or it's all like jumping back a little bit it's all off to a fast start you don't need to wait 20 minutes to set up that he is uh to set up the fooling to set up the fever right. and to set up that these are unsympathetic and funny characteristics for the movie again and uh you one of the earlier sex scenes um doesn't show promise initially, but Hofan kind of shows that he has some visual thinking still left in him. The alley sex scene uh, that looks like a very 90s style music video with these white foggy highlights and uh, the performers in profile, the actors in profile. It, and it has this uns very unsubtle sound design because they're apparently under a train track. So you hear like train passing and train whistles whenever something increases in the sexual act and all of that i think it's because of how fun taking it to these almost parody levels of sexuality because at one point she's she's holding on to this uh pipe and uh it's a it's, it's a water pipe so the pipe bursts so therefore they're covered in water and the closer they get to climax they essentially start like appearing like uh, acting like animals it's like it's it's so increased that I, I kind of enjoyed it on that level that they, uh, they're they they're not going for <laughs> no it's rather like uh, it, it's animalistic but uh, in a comedic sense uh, but uh, the, the, the great capture scene if you remember did, did you make any notes about um, the policeman and police uh, woman that um, sees them having sex publicly I was a little bit confused by it like uh, they show up and they decide not to do anything first, right? They're like, let's watch for a little bit or something. No, no, no. Let, 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 hmm. Let's wind back here. Because the most important thing is how it's translated. Okay? Okay. <laughs> because the man the man sees them. Oh, they're making love publicly. Should we do anything? And the policewoman say, no, it's funny. Let's watch. Totally funny. It's hilarious. Yes, hilarious. See, I, I fully expected that to... Um, you know, develop in the song. I, th I thought that was maybe we'd see the cops banging or something like that, you yeah. know? Oh, it's funny. Let's watch. <laughs> but yeah, and there's several sequences also where Kim and Peter appear uh, talking. They they appear, uh, they don't have anything on their upper body, and they uh, talk to us, the audience, like, hi, how's it going? And like, uh, what are we going to do now? Like, it's uh, it's an element that could have been 
maybe forced and not funny, but I think they make yeah. that uh, on-screen element with them talking to us kind of funny and uh, amusing at least. It's very kind of like bizarre and <laughs> like how, how they do it throughout the whole movie. And like there's that sequence towards the end where um, uh, what's the 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 secondary guy's name? Patrick? What'd you say? Peter. Peter, yeah. Peter uh, basically turns on his best friend and like the very next scene or whatever is just one of those and it's just a complete exposition thing. They pop up and they're both like, hey, I bet you're wondering why we're together. Well, you know, he apologized and everything was worked <laughs> out. <laughs> and like, let's go to the next scene where we're together trying to solve the you know, end of the movie. That's basically all you get out of it. But he's also doing like almost Stephen Chow style humor in these scenes because at in one of these talking to an audience scene, uh, he uh, sort of gets mad at Peter and like jumps and uh, hits him on the head. Uh, one of those like da! like and he does it outside of a fantasy sequence uh, too so um yeah it, it, and it's also one of those movies where because the wife um has suspicions about this because she sees a tv commercial that says exactly what sh- she should be suspecting her husband of like does your husband do this and this does he act like this and this it's and all this the stuff he does it's a detective agency, a private detective agency. So it's one of those, like, there's no rules here. Like, uh, a TV commercial can totally be, like, leading in that regard. Yeah. And we, uh, they, they, that private uh, detective, we don't see a lot of him, but uh, he's apparently done a little bit of work because the wife finds out uh, eventually. And uh, because it leads to a comeuppance, it must lead to a comeuppance. Otherwise, I think I wouldn't be on the side of the movie. If it would have been like, well, that was awesome. We're awesome. See you guys. Cheating's great. I, I do genuinely think that is important. So, uh, like, the wooing goes well, but after a while, the wooing starts failing. Uh, he fails to pick up one lady, but when he reaches Valentine's Day, he says to, uh, to us, and this is the subtitles again, they're important, I, st- I still have two on Valentine's Day, so I can still fever. <laughs> <laughs> well, if you say so, you can fever all you like. So, uh, But but yeah, th- that whole Valentine's sequence is a big... Uh, he is not expecting to have sex with his wife, but he kind of has to. And uh, she's bought a video camera, so she takes a lot of uh, lot out of him. And I think that leads him to the parking garage sequence as well. So it's this big, big whole sequence. And I was expecting the whole <laughs> bizarre sequence when Peter has sex in his place without his woman knowing. I was expecting that to be part of that same sequence by memory because I've seen it before, but it's a latter sequence and it starts to, or all starts to go wrong because he thinks of himself as the world's greatest fucker, which is. Even he gets worn out, so he has to rope in Peter to do what exactly for him? Things get real fucking uh, (laughs) complex. How they get away with this is uh, kind of amazing. Well, they used, apparently, one of them has to be really good, but carpentry work is the only thing I can imagine. <laughs> and so, okay, our, uh, Kim, the main star, he cannot have sex with his boss because his boss is related to him via being like a 13th aunt. Oh, I remember. We discussed this on the Diary of a Serial Killer episode. Why? How? Right. Because she was like the cousin of the aunt of the great and the da 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 da, and that doesn't yeah, make yeah, them yeah. blood related. And I was reminded of this is how they break it down. They have a scene in Wild at Heart where they have ready to go uh, diagrams of like how they are related and if it's suitable to. Yeah. And they even say, say, come to the conclusion that 
she's the 13th aunt, which is actually a Wong Fei Hung Once Upon a Time reference. You know, that's not the first reference. In exactly, it happens twice. But but yeah, they, they do that. They pull out the diagram and uh, come to a conclusion. Right. And so he can't have sex with her. So he has to have Peter, you know, step up for him. And uh, they do this by, oh man, I, you know, I wish the movie showed a little bit more detail in this, uh, <laughs> you know, little stunt they pull. But a little montage. Yeah, like so. Yeah, them building it. How great would that Take have been? Get to the limit. <laughs> <laughs> so you have uh, Kim. He's laying in bed with the covers pulled up over him. Little does Jacqueline know when she comes in that apparently there's like almost like a magic act where you have like you know like when they cut somebody apart or whatever how it's like staged somehow <laughs> and apparently peter must be lying underneath in some kind of like a secondary thing underneath kim and has his pelvis and penis apparently exposed god how they did this i i'm not 100 percent sure so she you know she originally she's about to pull the covers completely off of kim and kim's like no 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 pull it from the bottom up yeah, so that just his pelvis is exposed or whatever, and his penis is there, I guess. And so she sits down on it, and that's the way he wants to have sex. You know, no other position. She has fun. She enjoys herself. And so does Peter. And then Kim's on top, just, like, miming, like... Oh, yeah, it's so good. And, like, uh, like he's re- really motionless for most of the time because she's so into it by kind of... Uh, she doesn't notice that he isn't, like, into it until it's close to closure, and he, like... Uh, oh, oh. oh boy was that now i've orgasmed isn't that great <laughs> that was a heck of an orgasm Woo! but yeah he she's worn out peter because he's like he looks like he's all pale and looks like a zombie afterwards essentially yeah. like she's that wild so there is that but they boy like realism who cares it's a pretty fun little sequence. The energy is right throughout the movie. I think that that's a key. That it keeps on moving. It's quite fast-paced. It isn't filled with boring sex. And it keeps on being funny. And it ends as it should. Going back to the more cartoony stuff. And the previously mentioned Once Upon a Time in China uh, reference. There's the uh, there's a sequence where, of course, once again, uh, Kim's driving down the road. And finds another damsel in distress. And... She's being, like, bullied by, like, three or four guys, and he jumps out and, like, immediately is transformed into, like, Wong Fei Hong attire. He's got the glasses on. He's got the, uh, like, kind of robe thing going. And we get the Wong Fei Hong music playing in the and back. And the umbrella as well, which is... Oh, yeah, the umbrella. I couldn't forget that. And so, yeah, we get shots of him jumping and flying in the air and, like, uh, attacking them and kicking and what have you. Like, as soon as they're, like leaving like and we see them just kind of walk off screen and we cut back to him and he's just like you know i'm glad i could save you but his face is all swollen and blood everywhere and cuts all over his face in his mind he's wong fei hong even uh even uh during the last few frames of the movie he's uh still um in his own up his own ass if you will <laughs> if you remember you, you remember when he fall, when he fall, falls and all of that so yeah oh yeah <laughs> but yeah i i do like it i, I mean being a fan of uh, whole fan all the way back to one of his uh, first movies as director girl with the long hair which he made at Shaw brothers very fun comedy again in the same vein i think it essentially is uh, like a fooling movie as well so maybe we should pull that out and and it's uh it wasn't category free back then because there were no it was no category free rating but i think it has enough nudity to uh to a warrant to free nowadays so we should probably pull that out and see how it did in the 70s but uh, uh as i follow him a little bit 
Uh, he had a desire for lust on screen. He was a good erotica director as well as comedy on screen. I think he's even better at comedy, actually. And it's still here. It really is still here in my mind. I think it's a fun little movie. Again, not a f- total classic, but a fun little movie. And that's sometimes in itself rare, too, you know? Yeah. If listeners ever, you know, kind of get into these movies and like decide to watch a couple of the classics and stuff like that, you know, this one's not far behind. It's just it's a fun, a fun title. As for availability, it, it's more difficult in, in that regard, though. It's one of those VHS, VCD and possibly Laserdisc only releases. And it's hard to get nowadays because you never got a DVD and you kind of have to go to the torrent side of things where there are usually VCD rips and stuff like that. And it's not surprising. Because of the movie factory Hong Kong cinema was, even with the adult titles, that there were so many of them that there's no wonder that not all of them were brought along when new media popped up. Also because many of these movies were made at companies that didn't last very long, sometimes only one movie, they're possibly, and I emphasize possibly, in rights limbo, or forgotten. You know, because there's so many to remember, and there's uh, they're, they're, not every company wants to take a chance on every damn movie out there. So, so yeah, it's one of those movies with Wild at Heart that you have to kind of um, get modern and use the internet to your advantage if you really want to find this stuff. Um, yeah, because it's not that hard if you are if you know your way around the torrent forums. So we're not here to like provide reviews of stuff you can't find, like in engage dialogue, and we can always work something out possibly. That that's the reality too. Even for DVD, the DVD era is becoming a tough reality now. You remember early two thousands, let's say. A lot of cheap Hong Kong DVDs out there of many movies. Universe was a company that put out so many cheap movies for Hong Kong, uh, 40 Hong Kong dollars. And all of that stuff is out of print nowadays too. Like uh, these 15 years of uh, strong DVD releasing, it's fading out. And it's um, we've, we've entered a new phase where the old isn't being renewed. And uh, that, that's uh, the kind of um, downside to a constant movie making factory that the Hong Kong cinema was for a number of years there is that depressing aspect of it but, uh, yeah be modern and uh, don't sit around waiting for the blu-ray remaster of Wild at Heart I Love Miss Fox and Secret Lover in a deluxe gold edition box set in velvet don't wait for that uh, okay next time we, we are planning to do the Modern Sleaze episode um, on um, Angel Whispers and uh, Gigolo but, uh, be, but I'm not sure if it's going to be the next one because the guest we have lined up, it's going to be a bit tricky scheduling. P- possibly we might need to record separately, or I'll just uh, do that one with him only. Uh, because uh, our, our days are not aligning as such, yet real life is uh, not aligning with the podcasting scheduling. But, 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 but what we're doing next, regardless if it's next episode or the episode after that, is finally looking at 3D Sex and Zen Extreme Ecstasy. Because that's Modern Sleaze too. It's a couple of years old, so it's Modern Sleaze too. Have you seen that yet, or will this be your first view? I have not. This will be my first time. I've seen it. It's fun. Really fun. It's like like partying like it's 1993 again, only slightly modern than that. Oh, with some 3D action. Mm -hmm. But uh, we pair it up with a movie called Flirting in the Air, the non-category free rated comedy that features the return of Charlie Cho in a familiar role. A minor role, but the return nonetheless. So we gotta do it. Absolutely. And we've done lower-rated movies before. Our old Rape by an Angel coverage was mostly Category 2 B-rated movies, as you might remember, listeners. Only the first Wong Jing Rape by an Angel was Category 3. The rest were below the rating, believe it or not. And then there was a fifth, like, uh, second-fifth one. 
that had no subtitles that was category free and so uh, yeah we we've done that before so i think it's only right to see what charlie is up to now in his old days same thing <laughs> we're doing the same thing over here but uh, i heard good things about it it's a wong jing produced uh, aman chang directed i believe so let's do flirting in the air just because we can all righty let's uh finish this one up then this has been this weekend please on the podcast on fire network find this show and all our other selections uh, all our other shows at podcast on fire.com along with bonus episodes uh, from uh, a lot of people including me and joshua and we're gonna make sure we do a boner episode sometime in the future because we're immature like that we get we get to use our sound effect therefore exactly my boying episode <laughs> we're looking for that on our site email us if you have any questions or feedback or suggestions podcast on fire at googlemail.com we are also on facebook leave a like on our page join the discussion group for show updates and general discussion good natured and not a lot of hateful discussion and not any trolling or anything like that it's a safe environment just like the trashy tree is a safe environment in that regard their discussion group and uh, join us uh, those links are on our site join us over twitter our uh, our twitter handle is at podcast on fire my reviews of hong kong movies taiwanese movies godfrey home movies and a variety of genres over at sogoodreviews.com and sleazykvideo.com is my video hub if you will and my twitter handle is at sogoodreviews and this week in sleaze can be subscribed to on itunes you can rate our show and you can leave a small written comment that will act perfectly fine as a review just a sentence or two that'll, that'll get through apple you don't need to write paragraphs to be a reviewer because they're user comments user suggested uh, users uh, submitted reviews so please uh, if you have something to say do and uh, stream us on stitcher radio as well uh, if you don't have place uh, space on your uh, podcasting uh, device your preferred device uh, they have a website uh, where you can find us but also applications on the google play uh, store thing and the apple app store and finally shelf life clothing brian kirby's uh, outro music you're gonna hear in a little while so he's been a great help for the show so check out his t-shirt line including the caucasians t-shirt that went viral and went into the media a year or two ago and the satire behind that is still valid i think and uh, finally, your um, your plugs and uh, your other podcasters. So uh, go ahead and bring us a little mention again. Trashy Trio, baby. Google searches. You'll find us. Go on lips and do it. Okay. That's Don't it. Pr- <laughs> pressure me. Like I'm still doing the show here. I will. All righty, buddy. Let's stop the fucking. Let's unwrap Joshua and give him a big cartoony smash on the head. So that's how we go out. <laughs> Beating up each other. Like, Take that, Joshua. Dunk. <laughs> how about you? I'll be in a fetal position within one second. Like uh, begging for mercy. That's how brave I am. <laughs> <laughs>